listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Good morning. So as Pastor Craig said, uh, my name is Mike, and I am the student and young professionals pastor here at Central. Um, so uh, it's been a little while since I've, I've, I've spoken on a Sunday morning. Um, so if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, um, then we're meeting each other right now. So, um, but yes, I, I work with uh, students, so 6th through 12th grade, and I also work with college and young adults. Uh, our college young professionals, also known as CYP, we meet every Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, so that is basically ages uh, 18 through early 30s, and we'll meet in here, and, and it's an awesome time. And our high school, we meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Middle school meets Wednesday nights at 6.30. Uh, that is my shameless plug, and, uh, and I fully own that. Um, but um, it's just a privilege to be able to speak with you this morning. So if you would, just join me in prayer um, really quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, Father, we thank you. Um, for this weekend and what, what we celebrated as a country. And God, we are so thankful for the fact that your sovereign hand has gotten us to this point. And Father, while we uh, celebrate the freedom that we have as a nation, God, nothing compares to the freedom that we have in you. And Father, we just ask that you be with us this morning. God, that you would uh, be with our nation, be with our leaders, Father, especially during this tumultuous time. And uh, God, that above all things, that we seek your glory and not our own. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you were to ask somebody what, if, you know, they were going to, like, guest speak, and I'm not even guest speak, I mean, I, I'm here all the time, but if you're going to speak on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, what were the conditions that you would want, and you would probably not think, uh, you know, like, you know, because you never know what you're going to get, right? A, a Mother's Day, you kind of know you're going to get packed with families, and, and Easter, we, we all know Easter, right? We're going to get, you know, we're, it's going to be packed to the gills, but, you know, you never know what you're going to get during the middle of the summer. You never know what you're going to get on a holiday weekend, and you especially never know what you're going to get during a pandemic. So when you add all those three, um, this is, you know, the people that come, you know, and, and even tune in online, this is the group that loves Jesus the most. I believe that. So, and I've told every service that. So, you know, so you, <laughs> but uh, this morning I wanted to do something uh, a little bit um, a little bit differently. So we're going to kind of open with a, with a passage of Scripture. And it's going to be important for us to kind of keep that in the back of our mind as we, as we go through the rest. So it's, this isn't going to be the passage we're going to camp out in uh, for my time this morning. But it is something I want us to kind of remember. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, verses 34 through 39 is what we're going to look at. And, and what we're experiencing right now, I don't know if any of you uh, watch the news or if you're on social media uh, as much as social media is a blessing, it is also a curse. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you see that right now we are living in a time that is incredibly divided. And as Christians, it can be incredibly discouraging to see the just, you know, this, you know, just things seemingly falling apart. But, you know, what, what we know, if those of us who we believe in the sovereignty of God, we know that, yes, it may seem like things are falling apart, but what really is happening is things are falling into place. And that God is sovereign and God is in control. And as we read scripture, what we see is this, we see this idea that, you know, really we see this kind of fulfillment of what we're seeing right now. And it's really going to lead a lot into what we're going to be looking at in the story of Cain and Abel. So Matthew chapter 10, it says, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, as we kind of put a mental bookmark in that passage of Scripture, if you would join me and turn to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, this is early on in the Bible, Genesis, first book of the Bible. And uh, this is Cain and Abel. So, we, of course, we know the first man and woman mentioned in Scripture, Adam and Eve, and we have their children, Cain and Abel, who are a joyful bunch. They, they, those two are. Uh, but Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, there's a lot that we could dive into into this passage. Those of you who know me, you know that I'm typically long-winded as it is, so I hope you packed a lunch. Um, that was supposed to be funny, but that's all right. I, I, I'll roll with it. Thanks for the pity laughs. But basically, you know that, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be said about this passage. You know, there's a lot of underlying truths and, and, and good narratives that we could grab a hold of and we could take them and, and run with them and, and get a good moral story out of this. But I think something that is too often the case when we read Scripture, especially when we read the Old Testament, is that we read them kind of like we would read Aesop's fables, for those of you who know what I'm talking about there is, we kind of read it, and what we do is instead of you know, reading it for its intent, what we do is we get a good moral truth, and we walk away with a good moral truth that we can apply to Monday, rather than opening Scripture to see and get to know who God is. And what I'm afraid of is that what we have in the church and in Christianity today is we have a lot of very moral people who know nothing about God. What we want to do this morning is we want to, you know, make sure that we're getting really to the core of what we're trying to see here. And one thing that I think is beautiful about this, about this story between Cain and Abel is that it's, so, it's very short, but what you see is it beautifully summarizes the life experience of both the Christian and the non-Christian. See, both the Christian and the non-Christian start with promising beginnings. We see these two brothers, they, they take seemingly similar paths. Right? One, one taking care of the ground and the other taking care of the sheep. And they take these similar paths and they eventually take these two differing paths that go total opposite directions, which eventually lead to enmity with one another. And then in the case of one, ultimately enmity towards God. We see God's design for mankind in this story. We see man's sinful response to their design. And then we also see how the gospel is the ultimate remedy. So without delaying anything, I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in. So the first point we want to pull away and understand about this passage is mankind's religious nature. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. You know, this is a really important thing we need to understand here, is that in this story, both brothers present an offering of worship to God. 
both brothers in this story, in this scenario, would both be considered worshipers. Am I right? They both present worship to God. See, a lot of times we have this idea of Cain and Abel. I know for me, you know, I, I know I do. And we kind of think, well, Cap- you know, Abel, Cable, I'm going to probably say that at least one more time, sorry. Abel is kind of like the, he's the, you know, we think he's the good Christian, right? And he is. He's, he's the good example in this story. And then we look at Cain and we're like, well, if Cain was to be anybody, we think maybe he'd be like, like the really mean atheist or something that doesn't believe in God or something. But what you see is that both brothers are presenting worship. So what you're seeing is you have, you have two cases, you have two cases of two people bringing worship to God. It's very important for us to know that. You know, what we, we see here also is that, remember that this is before any written command by God was given to the people commanding any sacrificial act of worship. So it's interesting here that these two brothers, the first thing we see them do after we are introduced to them is what? Worship. And what you see, and this is something we need to understand, is that mankind is incurably religious. Deep within every person in this room is a longing to worship. And why is this? Why is it that you can go to anywhere in the world, you can go to the most remote third world places in all of the earth. We have the blessing of having a lot of missionaries that are in our church. And some of you, I'm sure, maybe you can attest to what I'm saying, but you can go anywhere in the world and find people Worshipping something. You can go to places where they have not seen a person outside of their family their entire life, but they're going to be worshipping the trees or the sun or the moon or the stars or a lizard or, or a bird or whatever it is. Why is that? Because every single person on this earth cannot help itself but to worship. Even in the West, in the West we kind of have this idea that we've kind of grown past worship, Right? That we're, we're too sophisticated for worship. We're too knowledgeable and intelligent for worship. And what you're really seeing is this rise in an idea called humanism. And basically the thought is of humanism, and you, this is from their website. You can, you can go and look at it. And what the whole idea is that they do not believe in a deity. They remove the idea of a god. And they say that basically everything needed for society to flourish and for us to have this self-actualization is found within each person. So what you need is you need to find the answer to all of life's problems is within yourself. And what they do is they they remove the idea of God and they put man at the center of attention through means of logic and reasoning and, and moral philosophy. But the problem is, it's not that they're not worshiping. What they're doing is that they're removing anything like a deity out and they're placing themselves in the, for, in the place of worship. What you see is that both the spiritual and the non-spiritual person worship something. You don't have to be religious to worship. Some people worship a god. Some people worship money, sex, relationships, themselves. Right now, it's very popular for people to worship their own understanding of social justice. And the list goes on and on. And at the center of every man and woman in this room and on this earth is a craving to worship. We can't help ourselves. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? And that's something that we need to understand is not do you worship God or do you worship? The question is do, what are you worshiping? And when I say worship, I'm not necessarily talking about singing songs. Now that is an aspect of worship, but I'm talking about what is your life devoted to? What do you exalt with every breath? 
Why can we not help ourselves? Why are we constantly worshiping? And it goes back to our design is that we were created to worship. The reason that you and I continually worship is because we were created by God to glorify him. You get this all throughout scripture, but just a few verses. Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? For my glory, whom I formed and made. A little bit later in that same chapter, verse 21, it says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. A little bit more popular passage is Psalm chapter 23. Some of you maybe have, you know, you were kind of told you had to memorize this in Sunday school growing up, the whole chapter, but we're just going to look at the first few verses here. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And we'll just stop right there. That's a really encouraging passage. I think we can all read that passage and, and it just, it's just, I don't know about you, but there's times where it just, it just ministers to me to be able to read that. See, the, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth is my shepherd, that he takes care of me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I'm like, mm, he restores me. That just sounds amazing. And then I see, you know, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And some of us are like, I don't even know what that means, but it just, mm, it just sounds good. We see all these things, but what is the motivation for those things? It says, for his namesake. Why is God good to us? One, he loves us. He does it for his namesake. The reason that we have breath in our lungs and you have a pulse coursing through your body is so you can glorify God with your life. And that is it. I say this with as much love as I possibly can. Because we have forgotten this in the American church. We have forgotten the reason that we are here. And it is not for the things that we have made important. The reason we are in this room, the reason we are on this planet is to glorify the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like I said, I say this with love, but this church isn't about you. This Bible isn't about you. Worship isn't about you. And your life, as much as you may cherish it, is not about you. My wife, as much as I love her, she's not here for me. One of my favorite books, my, my favorite book outside of the Bible is a book by a man named A.W. Tozer. It's called The Purpose of Man. And he says in this book, he says, Every Christian church in every country across the world and every generation exists to worship God first, not second. Not tacking worship at the end of our service as an afterthought, but rather to worship God primarily with everything else coming in second at best. Now, before we get really depressed, like, who is this God? Who, how egotistical of him to put himself at the center of everything. Before we start to think that, because maybe some of us are kind of trending in that direction, we need to understand this, is that the one thing God created you to do is the one thing that will satisfy your soul more than anything in this world will. There is no joy like the joy of doing what God created you to do. And what you see today is you see a culture and a world full of people that are striving for contentment, that are starving for purpose. And they go from one thing to the other thing, from trend to this trend, from hot button topic to this hot button topic, to issue to issue, seeking and, and, and craving for this contentment that only the glory of God can bring. And maybe there's some of you in this room 
that you just, you know, it just doesn't feel like what you're getting what you should get. Maybe even those of you who are, who are Christians and you love the Lord, but you're just, you're struggling with just, you know, like, I know I should have joy. You know, Galatians 5, Paul mentions, mentions this, and he's encouraging the church to not live and be guided by the things of the flesh. He says, don't be, don't be led by the flesh, and he gives a list of things that you can expect that will happen if you're led by the flesh. Then he says, be led by the Spirit, and then he gives the list of things you can expect when you live by the Spirit. And we know those, for those of us who've read our Bible, you know, for a certain amount of time, you know that those are called the fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm led by the Spirit of God, which will lead me to do the things that glorify God, if you're ever curious, I can expect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you are struggling to have the joy of the Lord that you know you should have, perhaps you need to evaluate the aim of your worship. We do not worship ourselves. We worship God. The second point, we see God's response to worship. Excuse me, we see God's response to worship. As I said earlier, this passage beautifully summarizes the life experience of both the Christian and the non-Christian. What do we see? We see both the Christian and the non-Christian worship, right? Both the Christian and the non-Christian worship something. But then this is where the paths split. It's pretty early on. Genesis 4, 4 and 5, Cain and Abel says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. See, the difference is not that one worships and the other doesn't. The difference is that one presents acceptable worship while the other does not. And this is a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless, is that God, there is worship that God accepts and there is worship that God rejects. God does not accept every form of worship. I've heard it a lot of times, you know, when I was young, and even now, I hear a lot of people say, all that matters when you worship God, all that matters when you worship is that you're genuine. And you know what? That sounds beautiful. Like we could put that in a Hallmark card, mail it to somebody, and they'd be very encouraged. But here's the problem with that, is that some of the most sincere and genuine worshipers I've ever seen in my life are Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims. In fact, I would probably beg to say that I don't know many Christians that worship more genuinely than they do, which is sad. But we would all agree that they worship amiss because they worship apart from Christ. So if sincerity and genuineness is all that matters in worship, then what's the difference between a Christian and a Muslim and a Hindu and a Buddhist? See, the thing we need to know is that all biblical worship is always genuine. But not all genuine worship is biblical. See, as the one who created us to worship, God is also the one who designs how we should worship. You see, we do not worship God according to our desires. We worship God according to what he desires. I'll give you an example. My wife, I love my wife, Kayla. She sings up here and she's beautiful and she's amazing. But, you know, there's, there's something that she has and I'm, I, I pray for her every day that she be delivered of this. But my wife is lactose intolerant, which if you know what that means, she can't have, you know, dairy products and, you know, milk and, and things like that. She, has, she can eat cheese, which is good, but milk, she, she can't do. And if you know anything about me, you know that I love ice cream. I love ice cream. Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshake is probably the closest thing to manna from heaven that we can imagine. 
It's delicious. It's amazing. But here's the, here's the thing and all, that, you know, Kayla, she can't have it. There's times where I'll say, Kayla, we should get a milkshake. And she'll say, well, you can, but I can't have it. I'm like, you're right. You're right. And I'll come home from work, and I'll bring her some dessert. And typically, it's either a white chocolate Reese's, or if I'm feeling really fancy, I'll stop by Wawa, and I'll get her a, mil- uh, I'll get her a smoothie from Wawa, because those are delicious. But you know what I never bring my wife home? Ice cream. doesn't matter how much I love it. Because her nature will reject the ice cream. doesn't matter how delicious it is, how much I love it, how much I cherish it. You know what I don't bring her? I don't bring her ice cream. And hopefully you see where I'm going with this. Because if that is how I consider my wife, how much more should I consider my God as the recipient of my worship? I do not bring what he will reject. And that brings us to this point. What is the reason for his response? What is it that God desires when we worship? Because if we were designed to worship, we better know how. What was it that Abel brought that Cain did not bring? And I believe the key to this answer is when we look at these two men. We look at scripture, we find, uh, we get to get to know a little bit more about these two men. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. So we'll start with Cain. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. First off, we need to see that Cain is considered evil. A lot of us would agree. We're like, you know, yeah, he killed his brother. Of course he's evil. But if you read the passage, what you see is that Cain was considered evil before he killed his brother. A lot of us think that Cain was evil because he killed his brother. No, he killed his brother because he was evil. And we can look at Cain and be like, yeah, evil, evil. But if you read scripture, we can't go too far until we have to put the finger back at ourselves. What did we see in scripture is that we are evil as well. Romans 3, 10 and 11, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James 1, 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. See, the Bible teaches that we are all lost outside of Christ, and we do not simply sin and do bad things. We are sinful. And we are bad. And it is manifested in the things that we do and in the way that we worship. So let's look at Abel. On the contrary, Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What do we see in this verse? We see that Abel was commended as righteous. And that, my friends, is the difference. That one was considered righteous and one is evil. The reason that Cain's offering was rejected and the reason that Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable was because Cain was unacceptable. And the reason that Abel's offering was accepted is because Abel was accepted. Let's read those ver- Genesis 4, 4 and 5. says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Notice that God does not reject Cain's offering and not Cain. He rejects both the offering and the one who gave it. And here's the truth that we need to understand, is that the worshiper and the worship are inseparable. You cannot separate yourself from the worship that naturally flows from you. Let's apply it a little bit more. You cannot live how you want Monday through Saturday 
and then present acceptable worship to God on Sunday. We have a lot of people, a lot of churches all across America that their worship is, is, is just flat. And there's no Holy Spirit leading it or guiding it. And why is that? And it's hard to worship and you can't worship on Sunday when you don't worship through the week. You see, in order to worship rightly, we need to be made right. How is it that Abel was considered righteous in the eyes of God? Because what we need to be able to present acceptable worship to God is we need what we cannot create within ourselves, and that is righteousness. How is it that he was considered righteous? Let's go back to Hebrews. By faith. See, Abel placed his faith in God, and that is the key. Faith is what ties all of this together because faith is the avenue by which we receive grace. And when we receive grace, we are considered righteous. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. You see, God isn't necessarily seeking worship as much as he is seeking worshipers. See, John chapter 4, this is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And that is the purpose of the entire Bible. The purpose of the gospel. You ever wondered, because a lot of times we say, you know, why is it that God would send his only son to remove my sins from me? Why is that? Now, of course, we say, well, well, because he loves you. Well, yes, I get that. But there's got to be something. And this is it. The reason God came in the form of Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on a cross, bore our sins, rose again three days later, was so he could take rebels and turn them into worshipers. Because apart from that, you and I cannot do what we were created to do. In order to properly worship God, we need what we cannot produce, and it's righteousness. You see, 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life, and when he died on that cross, he took the wrath of God for every sin ever committed upon himself so that we can stand before him perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice that we don't just become somewhat good, right? It doesn't say that Jesus just kind of like wiped away our sin. It says that he became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. See, when I come to God and worship, I do not dare come and flaunt my own righteousness. You know what I do is I come to God solely because I can come to him because I am clothed in his righteousness. I'm clothed in in the righteousness of Christ. I'm seen as perfect, spotless. What did Abel do? Abel came and he presented the firstborn of his flock. The firstborn, he presented the sacrifice of the firstborn spotless lamb. And you know what? We do the same thing, but instead of presenting a sheep, we present Christ crucified. I say, God, I have nothing to give you of my own account. 
But what I do have, I, get, I have what you gave me. And that's the blood of Christ. And when I present the blood of Christ, that is something that God will never reject. How do I receive this righteousness? I simply repent of my sins. And I place my faith in Christ alone for salvation. Knowing that I have nothing good within myself to earn it. But understand this one thing. That all throughout history to be made right with God has meant to be put at odds with the world. Because we also see in the story the result of righteousness. If you go back to 1 John. It says, why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. If you also go to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. If we see that people naturally hate the things of God, then why do we try to pretty up the gospel instead of just presenting it? Because you know what saves people? It's not an eloquent speech. What saves people is the Holy Spirit doing what they naturally would not do on their own. Convict them of their sins. Draw them to himself. And I'll close with Matthew chapter 10 again. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to this earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like I said earlier, there is nothing that will satisfy your soul more than bringing honor and glory to God. Christians for 2,000 years have died for the name of Christ, all the while singing hymns of praise with joy on their faces. A good example of this is a man named Polycarp. He was a pastor of the church in Smyrna in, in, in the first century. And he was arrested and he was put to death for the name of Christ. And according to, this is historical record, he, he was burned at the stake. And because of the joy and the countenance on his face, the people grew angry and they stabbed him to death. So he did not die because of the flames. He died because he was stabbed to death. How is it that a man can be in the midst of flames and have joy on his face? It's not because he wanted to die. It's because he understood that there is no greater joy than the joy that comes from glorifying God, whether it be in life or ultimately in death. And to be put at odds with the world really isn't that much of a sacrifice, if you ask me. Some of you, maybe you've been striving for this contentment, you've been striving for this purpose, and let me tell you that, you know what? It only comes when you just come to Christ and understand that he did for you what you could not do for yourself. He made you perfect. The purpose for your existence is to glorify him, and he gave you the way to do it by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's the phone number. And if you're watching online, it'll show up on the screen. And, and if you're in here, it'll also show up on the screen. If it's there, hopefully it is. But when this phone number does show up, there it is. It's 407-338-4024. 
This isn't that op- this is a way that you can take that next step. For some of us, you're like, you know what, that sounds awesome, and I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. Maybe for some of you, you know, you, you've accepted Christ. You have that relationship with him. You've placed your faith in Jesus. But you, you want to glorify God, you know, and you haven't taken that next step of baptism. Let me tell you, sharing what Christ has done for you through baptism glorifies him incredibly. And for those of you who haven't placed your faith in, tr- or tr- in trust in Christ, you don't need a text message to do it. But if you want to know more, text this number. There's a real person on the end of that number. Because nothing glorifies God more than seeing someone who is dead in their sins become alive in Christ. And that's what we're about. If we're about nothing else at Central, we should be about glorifying God by making him known to people. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the fact that you did what we could not do on our own and you declared us as righteous. You took our sin. As scripture says, you took our sin and you separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. You took our sin, you threw it into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So Father, I do not come to you ashamed. I come to you boldly knowing that you have declared me as righteous. Not on my own doing, but solely on the works of Christ on my behalf. Father, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, I pray that you would call them to yourself. I ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.